Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious lolly Focus Pops or lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This week's press gallery is brought to you by Callaway. Specifically, a kind of golf ball that they have called the Chrome Soft. It's a tour ball, but it's not just any tour ball. It's the golf ball that's changing how tour balls are made. When Callaway made a low-compression, low-spin tour ball, others said they might be onto something, everybody, and they tried doing the same, but they can't. You know why? Because Chrome Soft is the only ball engineered with a graphene-infused dual soft fast core for serious speed and unbelievable control around the greens. See for yourself where everyone is playing and loving Chrome Soft. Order the ball at changetheball at callawaygolf.ca. Another quick reminder, of course, to subscribe to the Press Gallery podcast. You can do so wherever you're listening now, whether it's Apple Podcasts or somewhere else. Leave us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. And if you go to edmontonjournal.com slash podcast right now, you can get a free 30-day subscription to the Edmonton Journal. Check out all of our awesome journalism that we do on a daily basis. Any questions, comments, or concerns, give me a shout. egraney at postmedia.com is my email address, or you can find me on Twitter at Emma L. Graney. Okay, enjoy this week's episode. Hello and welcome to the Press Gallery podcast, the Edmonton Journal's podcast that takes you all about Alberta politics. I am your host, Provincial Affairs reporter Emma Graney. It is Friday, July 26, 2019, and this is the Flippin' the Switch edition. Around the podcast table with me today, we have a small but mighty skeleton crew. (laughs) Yes, very, very strong and mighty. I love this. It's like three political nerdy ladies. (laughs) It really is. Claire Clancy, my colleague down at the ledge, how are you, mate? Great. Fantastic. You're going on vacation. I am, so I'm just in a great mood. Clancy came in on her day off as she's getting ready to get on a flight to, to see my friend this. Beth in Vancouver. Right. So I'm very excited. And she's a hero. Yes. <laughs> and Sarah O'Donnell, who is here anyway, but has heroically entered the studio to join us. Yeah, to talk about electricity. Woo. Yeah. Big day. <laughs> yeah. Rubbing my hands together How with glee. Amped yeah. are you about that, Sarah? Oh, I am so powered up. Are you buzzing? Well I, I, yes, that's all I got. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to have to end it there. No static on my end. <laughs> These puns are going to continue to hurt. <laughs> I'm really sorry, everyone. I'm going to stop that now. Or will I? But we are going to be talking about the province flipping the switch back to the energy-only market. Trust us, this is complicated as the most complicated thing in the complicated world of complicated power things. We'll do our best to explain it to you and what the heck is going on. Um, We're also going to be talking about a bit of flipping the switch on the sunshine list, which of course shows who is getting paid the most in Alberta when it comes to who is getting paid by the public dime. And we are going to be talking about party fundraising, not flipping the switch there at all. Unrelated to the title, but we're talking about it anyway. But it's the third topic. so. (laughs) So that's how it fits in there. 
<laughs> Let's start off. Oh, golly gee. Let's start off with the power market. And we really need to because it is something that affects every Albertan. It's an incredibly important subject, even if it, uh, you know, is something that you sometimes feel like you need a PhD to understand. <laughs> yeah. I, Emma and I had both written about this and we had to go back through our old articles and yeah, yeah. It, it's very complicated. To, I mean, to put into perspective just how complex this is. I was interviewing a guy yesterday from the Independent Power Producers Association of Alberta, and he said to me, yeah, approximately a thousand people understand the electricity market in Alberta, and about 10 understand the capacity market, which is what we're going to be talking about in a second. So, I mean, come on, man. I'm not one of those 10. Yeah, <laughs> those I mean, 10 people are valuable us, commodities. You know, be- because you both covered it, why don't I just briefly ask some of the questions since you guys are in a better position, Emma, to answer them than than I am. I mean, what, what happened this week? Why did suddenly electricity become a subject that we're, we're talking about again? Because we're really unlucky. <laughs> <laughs> no, the government announced this week, well, Sonia Savage, the energy minister, announced this week. First of all, I'm going to tell you a little bit of a story about how they announced this. It was This is the best part of the story, in my opinion, because yeah. it's very interesting. So on Wednesday at approximately uh, 3.45 p.m., we get an email saying there's going to be a press conference with the energy minister in Calgary in 45 minutes' time, and then after that press conference, we will be having a technical briefing. And to a journalist, that's a little bit annoying because, A, 45 minutes to get there through peak hour traffic in Calgary isn't any time at all, and you're doing a tech briefing after the press conference, which means journalists don't have the ability to ask intelligent questions because they don't know what the heck is even going on. So that was annoying. However... We're professionals. We dealt. We dealt with it. Yes. Uh, I may have told a press secretary about my exact feelings. Um, But yes, we dealt with it. So basically, Sonia Savage, the energy minister, announced, and the reason it was so late was because there were market implications. I think we can all understand that. Basically, Alberta had plans to move to a capacity market. We will explain what that is in a second. Alberta currently is something called an energy-only market, and this was a direction that the NDP took, or rather that the Alberta electricity systems operator recommended that the NDP take back in 2016. Um, So the NDP went, yeah, cool, all right, let's do that. That's what they said in 2017. So for the past two and a bit years, the systems operator has been working to develop the capacity market system. So they went out to stakeholders, they went to industry, they have spent two and a bit years working and developing this system, what it will look like in Alberta, what it means for consumers, how power auctions are going to work. And the first auctions were actually due to go out in uh, 2019. We were down to the point where the final system had been developed, it was basically ready to go, there were some final decisions to be made, but for all intents and purposes, this thing was ready to go. And then the government got up, the new government got up on um, on Wednesday and said, yeah, no, nah, we're not doing it. Is that it. what the announcement was? Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what Sonia Savage said. And I mean, that wasn't a huge surprise, right? Because the no. UCP had come into office saying when they were uh, elected that they were going to be reviewing this, a 90-day review of these plans to move from the energy-only market to the capacity market. And I do think, let's throw in a definition here of what exactly a capacity market is. Yeah. So I did a little explainer in my piece on Wednesday because I think it's really needed I use the subhead, what the heck is an energy-only market? So that's what Alberta currently uses. So basically, in an energy-only market, um, if you produce power, 
you're paid on kind of these um, fluctuating wholesale prices. So that's where you make your money as an investor. So when the price of power spikes, that's when you get your cash because then you're able to charge consumers more for it. But the problem is that really, really low natural gas prices mean that investors are not seeing their money and also the economy tanked. So investors and, and power generators had built all of this extra capacity to kind of deal with Alberta's then flourishing and growing and exploding economy, and then the economy tanked. So the problem was there was basically not making enough money. Now, a capacity market, on the other hand, it's when the systems operator goes out to power companies and asks them to bid on providing power to Albertans. So power companies will bid for a contract, and this is a very, very surface surface explanation. Power companies basically will, build on, will bid, bid on a contract, and they will guarantee a certain amount of power. So there are pluses and minuses for both systems, obviously. In a capacity market, the thought is that as a consumer, you're bearing more of the risk because through the systems operator, you're paying for this extra power plant and this extra capacity on the grid. Through an energy-only market, it's the private sector that's bearing that risk. That's the argument for an energy-only market compared with a capacity market. However, the problem with an energy-only market is that if companies are like, meh, screw it, we can't make our money, if investors just aren't willing to stomach the energy-only market, which is what we've seen across North America of late, then you run into the problem whereby down the road, you could have power supply issues. And a capacity market makes sure you won't have those supply issues because the power companies have said, we will definitely 100% give you X amount of electricity. I have a question for Emma about oh God. this. Well, oh, God, why? <laughs> because we know that um, the AESO said, I think it was in 2013, they said they were seeing a shift in markets around yep. North America and around the world. Mm. And then this study came out in 2016 saying, let's switch to a capacity market. And then this week, um, Minister Savage, I know in your story, she said um, conditions have substantially changed. Mm. And so what does she mean by conditions changing? So I've spoken with a number of people about this over the past couple of days. Lucky me. So fun. <laughs> um, shout out to Blake Schaefer, actually, who is an uh, energy economist of some description. He went through things for me, which was incredibly helpful. But basically the argument that Savage is making is that things have changed. So particularly this is around renewables. The NDP basically was saying, we're going to have 30% renewables in the Alberta grid. So it was because that was a legislated change, it was something that could be factored into the growth of Alberta's electricity system. That, of course, is not a direction that the UCP is taking. So that is one thing that has changed for sure. Uh, so that's the big one there. But other things haven't changed. I mean, the price of natural gas is still just incredibly cheap. You know, Alberta's economy is kind of growing a little bit. And we actually have the highest demand for electricity in North America, the highest like growth for demand for electricity in North America, I learned yesterday. So depending on who you're talking to is depending on how much um, things have changed. But that's kind of her argument is that just dismissing the the ISO report, because it was from a few years ago, was there was a tax she took. She did also say that the NDP didn't bother consulting with anyone, with anyone on that, which is not true. Sure, maybe the NDP didn't, but ASO did when they were writing that report. And as I said, to open this, they've spent the past two and a bit years 
in the field developing this capacity this capacity system. So that was a bit disingenuous, I thought, of mm-hmm. the minister. And the NDP's argument, I guess, with this is that um, switching to a capac- switching back to an energy only system is going to make it much less predictable for consumers. So their argument is that a capacity system is what protects consumers. Right? <laughs> no, I Ish. I mean, yeah, that was part of why the NDP decided to make the change. It's also worth noting that the NDP implemented um, power bill caps as well. Yeah, um, and I was I was going to bring that up because I mean, this latest you know change back or spring back to mm-hmm. the leaving the system operating as it is. This is a time that is going to see significant change in the energy industry moving in the next decade because we're in the process of seeing a few different things play out. We are seeing a mandated shift uh, from, and, and some of it was already happening on the industry side itself, but from coal, largely coal-fired power plants to natural gas-fired power mm-hmm. plants, and as you mentioned, the renewables, and and those are all phases. The the coal fire is supposed to be phased out, I believe, by twenty thirty. Correct. Um, correct me on Twitter if I'm wrong. Um, <laughs> and then you also, you know, the other part of this equation that Claire just mentioned is the price issue, the price caps. And that is something that the UCP have said they are going to be reviewing separately. Right now, uh, electricity rates are capped for consumers at 6.8 cents per kilowatt hour. But I just checked before we came in here. And and what that has meant, though, is that the actual price of electricity being generated, um, it has ranged in July from 8.294 cents to 9.424 cents, depending on which company you're looking at. And I guess the government has been making up that difference, right, and providing a subsidy on that. Um, so we as consumers are not paying through our electricity bills, the true price of our electricity. I guess, you know, ultimately as taxpayers, we're paying it all because, you know, we're doing that. But it's going to be really interesting to see if the UCP decides to keep that cap or not. And uh, I mean, that's ultimately what could really affect people's pocketbooks. Yeah, absolutely. And when we're talking there about the changes, I think, Clancy, you asked me earlier about the changes in the situation now. So obviously, renewables is part of it. And Sarah, you reminded me of the other two things that haven't changed. That's the 2030 mandated coal phase out. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of those plants now are moving to natural gas. So Sonia Savage was talking about this, quote unquote, coal cliff. So in 20. 16, they were expecting that coal plants would basically just shut down. But what's happened is that a lot of electricity instead is now being produced by natural gas because it's so cheap. So that's something that hasn't really eventuated um, is that coal cliff, as she phrased it. The other thing as well is the whole carbon tax bit of this and how much it was actually going to cost to produce electricity when you're looking at um, the extra cost for companies because of carbon taxes and that kind of thing. So there are a couple of things that haven't really changed, but if there's a change in the federal government, could change. Um, and we just we just don't know. So they're kind of the arguments that the government is making. It, it's not a huge surprise because even just looking at the markets, um, the, the kind of different market setups, I get the feeling, and please correct me if I'm wrong, listeners, I just get the feeling that an energy-only market seems to be more friendly to businesses. If you're if you're pitting business versus consumer, it just seems like it's more encouraging for some investment. Also, it really doesn't have that, um, I don't want to say government interference, that's not the term, but a capacity market, when companies go to bid to build new capacity to put onto the grid, it's the systems operator who says, oh, 
consumers are going to need X amount of electricity in X amount of years, therefore we need X amount of power plants, right? So it's up to the arm's length system operator to decide that. It's kind of like a middleman, I guess, deciding how much electricity we're going to need in the future. Whereas um, the energy-only market removes that middleman. So it removes that interference from a government agency or an arm's length systems operator. And that's very... That's very UCP. Yeah, I think there's still coordination by ISO. I mean, they're Absolutely. involved they're in all involved. this. So yeah. it is. It's 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 a question I think of you know some cooperation to you know yeah more even more cooperation and mandated cooperation I guess to say. Yeah, and so Sonia Savage um, said she spent the last couple of months meeting with power producers, companies, consumer groups, et cetera, et cetera, and they have overwhelmingly that is the word she used many times said we want to stay with an energy-only market. That's why she said they made those decisions. I've asked for exactly what groups they, like names of groups, uh, and have not yet got them. I also asked Savage, she, they were, the UCP was citing savings for consumers. I've asked for specific numbers. We haven't got those either. So there's a real lack of specifics and um, there's a little bit of a lack of transparency here about why they, how they've reached this conclusion. Um, of course, we can hopefully get our hands on some of that decision-making process down the road here, but that's where we're at right now. This won't be the last time we talk about electricity in Alberta. Most definitely not. <laughs> yes, and hopefully that all makes sense to you. <laughs> Thanks for bearing with us through those explanations. It's <laughs> Something I feel like I could read a hundred articles about this and still have questions about what's going on. So. Yeah, it's such a complex thing. And it's something that, Sarah, to your point about um, consumers noticing on their power bills, I mean, yeah, you get a power bill and you kind of pay it, right? Like, it's just... It, yeah, you don't think about which of the 16 power no. plants in Alberta did, and 16, am I remembering that right? You know, have, that power is from no. sort of thing. So yeah, it's it's fun, it's fun to dissect it. <laughs> and I was and I was speaking with a guy yesterday and he he made the very good point too that as a consumer, you're not even seeing the peaks and valleys when it comes to the at the minute cost it is to produce your electricity. You just kind of get your bill and yeah, you might see, you can get different systems so you can kind of monitor it really well. I remember growing up in Australia, we used to have off-peak and peak power rates. So you would set your dryer or whatever to start at two o'clock in the morning when it was cheaper power. And I don't know that Canada's ever had anything like that, but with smart homes and stuff, it seems like it would be a real push to move in that direction. There is a website that you can see all the power demand and the oh, various yes. price so by good. price in Alberta. We should maybe we'll share that as one of my good stuff because in my nerdiest hours and at times when there have been power challenges and I've been sitting in the newsroom watching those go up and down and it is like <laughs> very satisfying. <laughs> is that the um the ISO? Yeah, the live yeah. report. I yes. was watching that for half an hour. I yesterday. haven't even watched this. I'm really excited. And oh. it ticks over. You got forget, me in it. Forget Netflix. Watch yeah. the power fluctuations. <laughs> yes. I was gonna say, is it a version of like watching the fireplace TV on TV? <laughs> you know what? It is relaxation. It's a lot. It's a lot goes like in that. and pokes the power prices <laughs> and everyone cheers. Yeah. 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 And you can see, like, you know, as plants, you know, need to go down for like to something to it's just it's really it's pretty cool. And it shows you like how much wind is producing electricity right now, um, whether it's coal, whether it's natural. That's, That's cool. Really cool. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So let's move along. <laughs> oh God. We're going to move on to sunshine lists. It's sunny today, everybody. It's sunshine. Is really great for solar power. 
Yeah. Wow. Good segue, Sarah. Thank you. It's almost like you've hosted this podcast before. Once or twice, yes. (laughs) So the Sunshine List made news again this week and last week a little bit, which is strange because the Sunshine List is one of those things that kind of tends to come up once a year when it gets published. And people are always very interested in seeing what people make. Yeah, Um, because people are sticky beaks and they like to see how much they're sticky beaks. Is that an Australian word that you it guys is. don't use? That's another Australianism, but we're, we appreciate learning that. So it's yes. like you're nosy, right? Yeah. You want to know. Oh, my gosh. Like I've that. been using that for 12 years. People no might not know what you mean. What. No, no one's kidding. ever said what. <laughs> I like Basically, that. you sense. love to know how much your, um, your neighbor who works for the public service see if they're absolutely loaded or yeah. something like that. Well, and in Alberta, you know, this sunshine list was rooted in some real issues related yeah. to salaries and severance. And that's why ultimately the progressive conservative government introduced it. There were serious questions. And finally, it was just it was recognized that, you know, for the sake of transparency, uh, some of these issues ought to be just, you know, laid out there every year. There's no controversy about it that way. There's not, you know, a controversy about one person. It's just it's there for all to see that the you know the highest ranking civil servants are uh, are are included on that and it does include you know their salary benefits and also i think critically the severance because yeah, those severances huge. were what had truly been some of the biggest controversy i'd say in the last decade in Alberta politics. We haven't heard as much about those kinds of controversial severances, I'd say, in the last, you know, four or five years. But certainly prior to that, there were some regular news stories around those issues. And it definitely does shed light on what's like what people make. And um, especially in a time when the government has instituted a salary freeze, I think it's even more relevant for people to see kind of uh, where taxpayer money is going. And interestingly, on that salary freeze part, when I was looking at the Sunshine List this week, and Clancy, you'd done some great work looking at who the top earners were, and I'm going to pick your brains on that in a second. But when we were looking at the numbers on the Sunshine List, Sarah pointed out to me, because I was filtering it down to 2018, and Sarah's like, wait, that that's not that many now. It's like 2,661 people were covered by the 2018 Sunshine List. Of government employees, because agencies, boards, and commissions right. are a separate batch and different spreadsheets, and they're not all in one glorified, unified place, because why would one do that? And Which just is how, how you it- end up spending an entire day <laughs> making an Excel spreadsheet for Sorry yourself. Yeah. No, that's okay. But it's interesting because in 2015, that number was up at 4,000 and change. So the number of people covered by the Sunshine List in Alberta has decreased by some 35% since then, which is huge. And I asked the government why. I'm like, what? Did like, what is happening? That's the exact tone of my email. And the response I got was, yeah, hey, yeah, that salary freeze that the NDP instituted. Yeah. So that's basically shed a third of people off of the Sunshine List because the um, amount they need to make will rise with inflation. To appear on the Sunshine List. To appear on the Sunshine List. But because their salaries have been frozen, like non-unionized management employees, they're not getting hikes in their pay. So suddenly a whole bunch of them is dropping off the list. Yeah, that is interesting. And there hasn't been that, you know, the jump in terms of what the salary is hasn't been huge. You know, I think four, you know, four years ago, that 4,000 people you were talking about, Mm. the the base salary was about $104,000. And now with the inflation that's been added every year, the sunshine list threshold for government employees, it's higher for... um, agencies, boards, and commissions is about just shot, uh, over $108,000. Yep. So in that $4,000 difference, you've dropped, you know, like you said, yeah. that percentage of people off the sunshine list. It's very interesting. And for agencies, boards, and commissions, it's $129,809 um, is, th- is the threshold. So Clancy, who are some of the top earners on the um, 
when yeah, they released so, the Sunshine List. So basically, Emma did a great story this week about kind of what's going on with the Sunshine List. We'll talk about that. But um, this actually came out July 2nd, so it's been a couple of weeks. But we have kind of the, your typical top earners. So top public sector employees in 2018 were um, post-secondary executives, pathologists uh, working for AHS, and um, the head of the Workers' Compensation Board. Um the sunshine list does have to be updated by June 30th. And so this is why uh, our story came out early July. And yeah, some of the names are ones we see typically every single year, honestly. So uh, Guy Kerr, who's the CEO of the Workers' Compensation Board, he was top of the list and um, he made 907000 in salary and benefits. So that's agencies, board and commissions, obviously. Uh, with the top compensated government employee was once again Marsha Nelson, who's the, she's the deputy minister of executive council, and she made four hundred. $487,000 in salary and benefits. And then, yeah, other typical earners were include people like David Turpin, who's president and vice chancellor of U of A. He made $766,000 in pay and benefits. I thought what was interesting, though, this year, too, was we did see um, some of those larger severance packages. So mm -hmm. it's not controversial. Um, but Robert Reynolds, who was the former clerk of the Legislative Assembly, he worked for three decades in public service. Um, and he was given a severance of two hundred and ninety. dollars 7,000. So his pay benefits and severance for 2018 totaled over $700,000, um, which for a former clerk is, uh, you know, seems like a large amount. Um, but obviously he had a long, long career in public service. Um, the largest severance package, though, went to Guy Levy, who's the former executive director at the uh, Cumming School of Medicine at U of C. Mm -hmm. And so his severance came to about $306,000. Um, but if you want to go to our website and look up this article, you can see the top. Um, I did a list of the top 40 earners. So if you are a, what was the Australian <laughs> word? If sticky you are beak. a sticky beak, <laughs> then go ahead and take a look. So the reason that this came up was basically... A committee uh, is being charged with a review of the legislation that governs the Sunshine List. So it's the Public Compensation Act thingy. It has a, a real title. That's not its real name. Surprisingly, acts very rarely are called thingy. Uh, who, who Why not? It? I don't know, Clancy. It's a real oversight. But basically, a committee is having a review of that, uh, of the of the legislation that governs the Sunshine List. And if you're interested in having some feedback, the, the committee's willing to hear from you until September 9. Now, this isn't because it's a new government. It's actually part of the legislation that has to be reviewed every four years. And it was supposed to be done by January. But because of the election, you know, there was dissolution of the, of the legislature for the election. It meant that the committee that was previously doing it didn't get around to it, even though they got a whole bunch of public, uh, public input. So they're just basically going back to it again. So we should know within six months what the committee is recommending, whether there should be any changes or not. Yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting to see where the UCP stands on this because as a government that uh, says it's very concerned about the public purse and stuff like that, are they going to want to see more transparency or are they going to be, you know, concerned potentially about privacy? I, it's going to be interesting to see where, where that falls or if they'll leave things perfectly as they are. Absolutely. And speaking of the UCP, they won when it comes to party fundraising. Big shocker there. Yeah. Yeah. They've been, ahead, they've been ahead in fundraising for the last two years so that we've Quite been covering the UCP. Yeah. So Clancy, um, tell us the numbers, mate. Sure. So... 
This is one of those stories that brings joy to an editor's heart because these are, you know, <laughs> quarterly reports at Elections Alberta, as you're supposed to see every quarter. And so when you hear your reporters say, and we're checking to see when those quarterly reports get filed, I say, yes, yeah. they're on their game. Yeah. <laughs> Numbers. So thanks for being on your game, guys. And you're as welcome. you know, my favorite thing is math in all its forms. <laughs> Just <laughs> a complete lie. But um, yeah, so the UCP raised more than $5 million in the first six months of this year. Uh, so this is, as Sarah mentioned, this is the latest quarterly report. So we can see uh, basically what was raised from January 1st uh, to um, June 30th, the latter being the second quarter, obviously. Um, so UCP party and its constituency associations took in nearly 1.6 million compared to the NDP in the second quarter of the year, which um, the NDP had about 1.4 million. But where we saw that big gap, which is why it was 5 million for the UCP versus about 4.1 million for the NDP, was really during the election uh, campaign period. So that was in the first quarter of the year where um, the UCP did take in a lot more money. Um, it's important to note here, though, that the latest disclosures include contributions, obviously, during the campaign period for that April 16th election, but the constituency associations basically shut down during election campaigns and aren't able to receive any donations. So that's not included in these numbers uh, because they didn't get any money. And then, yeah, I just want to highlight a few kind of of the smaller parties because it's always fun to look at what they're able to bring in. Sure is. Uh, so the Alberta Party, which, uh, you know, as you know, was the third party to run a full slate of candidates on April 16th. They uh, brought in $275,000 um, in the first six months of the year. Um, Liberals raised... Um, $84,800. The Green Party pulled in $17,000 for the first six months of the year. Um, so obviously, we're getting into the much smaller parties now. Um, the Freedom Conservative Party took in $13,000. Mm-hmm, that's not bad. Yeah. Um, and then the, how new they were. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then the Alberta Advantage Party. Um, that's Wild two, Rose 2.0. Right, 2300 And then the Alberta Independence Party, who really was last minute for the election. Yeah, but they managed to have um, a whole bunch of candidates. Yeah, so they uh, they reported $2,000 <laughs> before in the second quarter, which was... Good on them for giving it a whirl, yeah. you know? They did, yeah. Really, they got their filings in, so... <laughs> they did. I think they that's did. what they were working on the most rather than... Uh, silver than silver lining, yeah, but. for sure. Yeah, and uh, yeah, those reports get filed every three every months. quarter, every three months. Yeah. So Sarah's guaranteed a story every three months. Yeah, that's next, true. Next deadline date is on my calendar. And, and they are important to look at because it gives us an idea of popularity of parties, what type of resources they're going to be working with. So um, yeah, so we all always do check in these quarterly reports because if you see a massive lead from one party, it's, it does say something about kind of what resources they're going to have. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, the Alberta Party did go through a point where they they raised it. A really good whack of cash, um, more than they'd ever raised before by by a large margin uh, before the election. Obviously, that didn't translate into seats. However, it did translate into or potentially translated into them getting a lot higher percentage of the popular vote. And it's going to be interesting moving forward to see if the NDP can keep the momentum mm. of fundraising numbers that were certainly for them historically excellent. Um, yeah, but definitely. Uh, we'll, we'll see. For sure. All right, let's move on to our regular segment, Good Stuff from the Gallery, in which we recommend things we've read or seen or listened to lately that we think you might also enjoy. Clancy, do you want to kick us off? 
Yes, I'm going to re- recommend two things. So the first thing I'm going to recommend is that our very own Emma Graney did a fantastic story this week about oh, Janice thanks. McKinnon. And it is a really important read, I think. Um, you can find it on your website, on our website. Obviously, I'll, I'll post the link, but it's, um, it's important because Janice McKinnon is running this blue ribbon panel looking into Alberta's finances. And Emma basically did a great job looking at all the work she's done in other jurisdictions and what that might mean for Alberta. I also read her book and a bunch of yes. research. Papers. Yeah, and lots of sticky notes in that book so I saw. Many. Mm-hmm. So it's a it's a great read. So I'm going to recommend that. And then the second thing I'm going to recommend was a story actually I read this morning that was so disturbing, um, but extremely important, I think, to read. And it's from The Guardian. It's a really good long read. But it's uh, the headline is it's about domestic violence. The headline is the fate, the fatal, hateful rise of choking during sex. And um, it's basically about how domestic violence cases where women are murdered have now a con- like more of a common defense has become um partners m- male partners saying that um it was kind of an accident gone wrong during a sex game and then this uh this journalist or these two journalists do a, an amazing job breaking down some of those cases and why that's not the case at all and how it's being used as a justification on trial and sometimes it leads to lesser sentences for um yeah, for male um, perpetrators who have potentially killed their partners. That is disturbing. Um, I'm going to recommend a couple of things. One thing is a funny article I read this morning from the Washington Post. I don't know if you guys caught this bit of news, but there was a fake presidential seal projected behind Donald Trump at an event a couple of days ago. Oh my God. Washington no. Post noticed. Heard about that. Yeah, they tracked down the guy who actually came up and did that fake seal. He's a graphic designer. He's actually a a Republican or was a Republican and voted for George W. Bush twice, but he hates Donald Trump with the power of a thousand sons. And he did this fake presidential seal instead of the um, eagle's head. It's got double ones, just like the Russian thing. Instead of the eagle holding arrows, it's holding a set of golf clubs in its claws. Instead of holding an olive branch, it's holding a whack of cash. And then there's an yeah, and then there's a little wow. logo. Instead of the the Latin one, the official one, it's Spanish, which means the 45th is a it's a puppet or something like that. It's the Washington Post broke this story and then tracked down the graphic designer who came up with it. And it's a really funny interview and I highly enjoyed it. That's amazing. Did he get charged with anything? No, because he didn't do it. Someone just grabbed it off the internet oh, and did cool. it. And they're still trying yeah. to figure out whether or not it was it was um intentional an amazing troll game or whether it was a giant accident and they've actually fired the person who did it already. Oh, wow. They say it was an honest mistake and he's like, and the designer's like, there's no way you have to go searching for this thing. Um, Anyway, it's just a funny little interview with that guy. I'm also going to recommend that everybody, if you haven't already, watch the Good Omens series on Amazon. It is fantastic. I only just started watching it because... Terry Pratchett is was one of my all-time favorite authors. No, he still is, but he did die a few years ago. And so every time I think of him, I get really teary and um, emotional. So I, was, <laughs> I wasn't sure how I would deal with watching Good Omens, but it's awesome and you have to watch it. And it's Neil Gaiman as well, right? Yeah, yeah. Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett wrote and Good Neil Omens. Neil Gaiman is one of my favorite writers. Yeah. yeah, and the oh my gosh, the TV series is just phenomenal. Sarah, take us home, mate. Okay, so for my, in addition to the nerdy uh, electricity electricity watching you're going to do, (laughs) I want to recommend a local read, Elise Stolte's column today about the agricultural boundary about around the city of Edmonton region to define where farms should be and stay is, I think, really important. And, you know, I must say, 
readers are actually really interested in it too. It's a topic that more Edmontonians care about than you would think. But for fun, while you are just sitting there watching the electricity prices <laughs> go up and down and find out which power plants are running and which what ones aren't. What a riveting aren't. weekend you're going to have. <laughs> I know. Oh, and where we're importing power <laughs> from. right. Mm. You should listen. If you haven't already, I want to recommend a podcast since Claire didn't this week. This sounds serious. I really enjoyed this on my summer vacation when I was away. It is um, from the same people who do CBCs or some of the same people who do CBCs. This is that, which is a spoof radio show that is sometimes so hard to distinguish from real versus. (laughs) So what this is, is it is there's two seasons of it and it's a a, a fake crime podcast, basically. So it's it's in the ga- <laughs> like in the genre of serial, that all these incredibly amazing. popular podcasts, and it basically so you, there's an quote unquote investigative reporter who the first season is this insane nine one one call that is just so hilarious. I mean, and it, it's fake, so you can laugh at it. Um, but anyways, and it walks it through, and I just love how good they are at really like mocking the the format while at the same time delivering like this these bizarre stories it's fiction i'm gonna listen to that today it's that fiction, sounds amazing but it's fantastic and i was like you know at my cottage table doing you know puzzles and listening to this and my kids are like what is happening here and i'm like <laughs> it's fake don't worry about it but it's really funny what's it called this is serious this is serious uh-huh. oh my god that's yeah, amazing that sounds fantastic guys thank you so much for joining me here on the press gallery to talk about another week in alberta politics even though i'm drawing you away from the summer fun activities outside. It was an electrifying episode. Uh-huh. Oh, nice. I love what you did there. So good. Uh, Claire Clancy, Sarah O'Donnell. Have a great week. Thanks for listening.